This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, February 16th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, light at the end of the COVID tunnel. Return of the Comedy Fest. Climate Action Plan looks to reduce carbon emissions. And a mountain weather forecast. It's good news on the COVID front in San Miguel County. Active local cases um, have gone down below into the single digits. And then um, hospitalizations, we currently have zero individuals hospitalized um, that are San Miguel County residents due to COVID. Um, And our most recent person um, that has been in the hospital um, since early December was discharged this Sunday after 67 days um, in um, the ICU and then the hospital. So very encouraging, and we're just so thankful that um, they made it out okay. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin speaking at a Board of County Commissioners meeting on Wednesday. She notes statewide modeling predicts 90% of Coloradans have some level of immunity against the Omicron variant, either due to infection or vaccination. And there is some anticipation of immunity to fade or wane over time. It's expected as a whole that we'll have that level of um, community protection that's at such a high elevated level um, through early summer, which is really encouraging. The caveat there, of course, is that there's no new variants or anything shifting, but as long as things stay steady, steady, we're going to be in a good place. When it comes to that caveat, Franklin says public health is looking at the BA2 and BA11 variant. Those are variants within the Omicron variant. But she adds they don't appear to spread more rapidly or cause more severe infection than Omicron original. Here's an exchange between County Commissioner Lance Waring and Franklin. Should I worry about BA2 and stay up late at night, or can I trust that things are probably going to work out okay for this one? Um, I think things will probably work out. We're doing okay, at least right now, um, from a Colorado perspective. So I wouldn't lose sleep over it, but of course, um, pay attention to the news as needed. And Dr. Jeffrey Coker, a member of the Public Health Advisory Group, shares the light at the end of the tunnel sentiment. I'd say we're definitely on the off-ramp of the COVID highway, um, which is fantastic. We need to keep our eye on the rearview mirror a little bit. Um, BA2 appears to have a little more antibody escape potential. Um, but I don't, I agree with uh, Grace's assessment totally. I, I, it's certainly never going to cause uh, the magnitude of problem that we saw with Omicron, and it's not going to threaten our healthcare capacity. And um, so we should just, I think, keep on that off ramp. County Commissioner Chris Holstrom supports the optimism while leaving space for what the future weeks and months may bring. We are being good drivers and looking at our rear view mirrors and our side view mirrors and watching the traffic ahead and behind us and all around. So I think that is the wisest course of action. And I'll, though we love seeing Director Franklin, um, we hope to see her for other issues much more in the future. As San Miguel County nears the two-year anniversary of the COVID pandemic, a light at the end of the tunnel is certainly a welcome sight. After a COVID-induced year off, the Telluride Comedy Festival is back. The 22nd annual local celebration of stand-up, improv, and laughter returns to the Sheridan Opera House this weekend. 
KOTO spoke with Jeb Barrier, co-director of the festival, about what to expect. Jeb Barrier, welcome back to uh, the Kodo Recording Booth. Thank you. Thank you so much. It feels like a very familiar place, but I can't remember being here because it's been two years. Which has felt like 20. I guess, yeah. It's felt like, so it's very surreal. Surreal to be back, missing a year of Comedy Fest. And it's sort of like, we do this every year, but also sort of like, how do we do this again? Well, I kind of feel like it says the 22nd annual, and I feel like there should be like an asterisk next to annual, like kind of, sort of, almost. Yeah. I mean, what is that caveat for the year that didn't happen? How does it feel to be back in Telluride for yet another comedy fest? Honestly, like, there's so many different feelings happening this year for me. I had a rough year. We lost my nephew, who was a part of the festival, so that's sort of tied into it. And just being back in Telluride, a place where actually, you know, where I lived for off and on for like 15 years. So I don't know. It's sort of a swirl of emotions, and uh, we're just diving right in. I mean, maybe this is too much of a highfalutin question, but what role do you think Comedy Fest, I mean, can play right now? It's, it's just such a weird time, two-year hiatus, a whole pandemic happened between the last Comedy Fest and this. I mean, what does the Comedy Fest, what, what should it mean right now in your mind? Well, I will tell you, I've always appreciated how much it means to people, but last year when it didn't happen... And I sort of heard from people how much they missed having it. And I realized like, wow, people really do kind of need this. You know, when you live in Telluride and you're working really hard and you've gone through the mayhem of the holidays and you just want to go out and have that release. Can you tell us a bit about some of the folks who are going to be coming in for Comedy Fest? Absolutely. We have a lean, mean comedy team. That almost rhymed, right? Uh, close enough. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've got veterans, Paul Shear and Rob Hubel. So 2005, those guys came and just kind of blew the roof off the opera house with this ski patrol bit that they created. And it's still, to this day, one of the most amazing comedy performances I've ever seen. You're setting the bar high. Well, these guys perform together all the time, and it's almost like they have a shared brain. It's pretty incredible. On top of that, Nick Thune, who is just a phenomenal stand-up. He's been on The Tonight Show 10 times. Ten more than I've been on. Which, yeah, when probably most people. Uh, and then for the first time, we have a woman named Beth Stelling. Beth is also an amazing stand-up. She's got a new special on HBO, like an hour-long comedy special. So it's huge to have her. And then two kids who grew up here. I call Really? Them, I call them kids. They're not kids. They're adults. And they both have careers in comedy. There's a comedian named Andrew Michon who grew up. He lived in Lawson Hill. He is killing it with stand-up right now. He has a podcast called Podcast But Outside and Lily Sullivan. And Lily went from here to college. Then she went to Chicago and she did Second City and she studied improv and did improv for years there. Now she's in LA and she's another person who has this career that's kind of on the up. Uh, and then I don't want to leave out Claire Mullaney. She's a comedy partner of Lily's. She's also fantastic. I hope I'm not forgetting anyone. Oh, and then Thursday, we're doing a thing after Locals Night down in the bar. It's going to be a, kind of a comedy show, a tribute to Silas, my nephew, who used to do comedy around town and always helped out at Comedy Fest and put together the same type of show on Sunday night of 2020's Comedy Fest in the bar. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a, a horde of, of some local comics who are going to be there for that. Yeah, and that's free. You heard it, folks. F-R-E-E. -E. Um, when you were here last 
Jeb. It was around the time of the infamous big boulder the size of a little boulder incident. Um, and that led us to just kind of jokingly come up with a, a catchphrase for the Comedy Fest, big Comedy Fest the size of a little Comedy Fest, which was actually quite apt, I would say. It is. But now in 2022, um, if you were to come up with a tagline for, for this festival, what would it be? The little fest that could. I mean, it, I'll be really honest with you. It was not easy to do this year because we were like, okay, we're good. And then all of a sudden... December came around and stuff started shutting down again. Then it was like, are we even going to be able to do this? And it wasn't honestly until like a week and a half ago that I knew for sure that we were on. There'd been a lot of challenges, but we're going to do it. Little Comedy Fest that could. Little Comedy Fest that could. Jeb Barrier, thanks so much for coming and chatting about Comedy Fest. Thank you for having me. The 22nd Annual Telluride Comedy Festival runs Thursday, February 17th through Sunday the 20th. Tickets are available at SheridanOperaHouse.com. San Miguel and Ure counties are aiming to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. The main goal of the plan is a 50% emissions reduction by 2030 and 90% by 2050. That's Emma Girona, executive director of EcoAction Partners. That plan is the region's climate action plan. It's a working roadmap towards our regional sustainability goals. And this plan is a 10-year plan with one, three, five, and 10-year goals. So we're really trying to balance that short-term action implementation with long-term planning. This week, Gerona, along with EcoAction Partners Energy Specialist Kim Wheels, presented the recently updated plan to an intergovernmental meeting with representatives from the town of Telluride, Mountain Village, and Ophir, and San Miguel County. While Girona acknowledges local jurisdictions have their own goals and plans for sustainability and emission reduction, she says it's also important to take the regional view. Particularly because of the number of shared resources we have in our region. So some examples of that are the wastewater treatment plant that's outside of jurisdiction boundaries, but shared by multiple jurisdictions, funded by multiple jurisdictions. Um, the gondola is another one. So with the collaboration between Telluride Mountain Village and the benefit to the whole region there. We also share common challenges across the region uh, related to the increase in tourism, cost of living, shortage of affordable housing. Uh, we see much of our work and goods coming from our surrounding communities. This ties us to the broader Western Slope region. And so we really see that to maintain our environmental, economic, and cultural viability within our community, we need to step up as a whole region and work together. The Climate Action Plan lays out eight sectors or areas for action. Community and engagement policy, energy supply, buildings, transportation, waste, food, water, and land. Jerona says those sectors are the areas where the majority of emissions come from within the region. Within each one of those sectors are a number of objectives aimed at lowering emissions with actions within each objective to achieve the goal. First, community engagement and policy. Drona says that's working with regional, statewide, and national partners to move forward. So the objective here within the CAP is to increase that engagement, continue to prioritize collaborative and intersectional decision-making, and that implementation is really important. Next, energy supply. Here's Kim Wheels. The sources of our energy definitely make a significant impact on our emissions. Thus, we need to prioritize continuing to transition to renewable sources of energy. And our regional plan is in line with SMPA, Tri-State, and Colorado State goals. Wheels notes the objective for energy supply is simple continuing to increase electricity supply from renewable sources. 
The next sector, building. According to Wheels, residential and commercial building energy use account for roughly 45% of regional emissions. She says the objectives for reducing emissions in the building sector include increasing beneficial electrification for buildings, improving building energy codes, increasing natural gas efficiency, reducing energy consumption, and mitigating for higher use of air conditioning. While energy supply and building are more straightforward, Girona says transportation gets a little trickier. Between ground and aviation, transportation accounts for roughly 30% of regional emissions. It is a tricky sector um, with our region's dependence on tourism. Accounting for all of the greenhouse gas emissions associated with transportation is challenging. A good example of this is the Montrose Regional Airport, which is outside of our regional boundaries. But 65% of travelers coming through the Montrose Airport are traveling to our county. So although the airport itself is out of our boundaries and sometimes outside of our control, um, impacting their decision making is important because of the impact on our county. She highlights SMART, the gondola, shuttles and sustainable aviation fuel at the Telluride Airport as successes for reducing emissions. But of course, there's still work to do. Decreasing vehicle travel, um, increasing the use of electric vehicles. Kim mentioned beneficial electrification. So electric vehicles is the other side of that outside of our building um, improvements. So we're excited to see a lot of efforts on that side. And then lastly, decreasing the emissions per passenger associated with airline flights in our region. When it comes to waste, the Climate Action Plan recommends reducing the overall volume of waste transported to landfills by implementing reduce, reuse, recycle, repurpose efforts and increasing composting. Next, food. It's a tricky sector again because most of our food is grown, produced, and taken uh, or brought here from outside of our region. But because of that, there is a lot of opportunity for reducing emissions by producing and consuming local food. It also presents an opportunity to support um, environmentally friendly agriculture and small businesses in our region. Following food is water wheels again. The objectives associated with water use in the Climate Action Plan are simply to reduce water consumption and also to improve our watershed health and security. Finally, land. We mapped um, forest disturbances from 2001 to 2016 in the region, looking at fire, insect, harvest, and other damages. And it's really jarring to see the increase in damages from insects across the region. Um, and the primary impact of these damages take three different forms. The first is preventing forests from removing carbon from the atmosphere. It also greatly increases the risk of severe forest fires and mudslides. Um, and lastly, it just disrupts soil stability, flood control, wildlife habitat, and nutrient exchange. So just looking at the severity and the um, speed of the damages increasing across the years really shows how important it is to take action across our land. Drona notes the Climate Action Plan is a living document and EcoAction Partners wants community involvement in what it looks like. There is a community input survey available at ecoactionpartners.org CAP. What do you get when you cross a psychological Western with a documentary about a 1969 festival in Harlem? The next slate of movies at the Nugget Theater. The current duo on screen, Belfast and Nightmare Alley, run through this Thursday. Then, starting Friday, Power of the Dog and Summer of Soul will have daily screenings, alternating start times between 5.30 and 8 p.m. Both films are Oscar nominees. There will also be a special one-night-only screening next week of The Tragedy of Macbeth. That's Thursday, February 24th at The Nugget at 6 p.m. 
Sure, most of us have probably read a book, but what about making a book? Next week, the Wilkinson Public Library is partnering with the AHA School for the Arts and the American Academy of Bookbinding for a class on the basics of making a book. The bookbinding class runs from 6 to 8 p.m. on Wednesday, February 23rd at the American Academy of Bookbinding Building on Willow Street. You can pre-register at telluridelibrary.org. Governor Jared Polis is officially launching his campaign for a second term. The Democrats' re-election bid was widely expected after he revealed several long-term goals in his State of the State address, including one to bring down the crime rate over five years. He made his formal announcement on Tuesday in a video touting his passage of free full-day kindergarten and his efforts to help Coloradans recover from the pandemic. And if you give me the chance to keep serving as your governor, I'll show you that Colorado's best days are still ahead. Several Republicans are competing to face Polis in the November election. The primary contest features a University of Colorado regent and a former mayor of Parker, among others. Colorado Democrats have blocked several bills from Republicans that aim to change how the state runs its elections. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. Republican Representative Ron Hanks sponsored an effort to have the state print ballots on paper with extra security measures, including invisible ink and watermarks. He says the current ones are vulnerable to counterfeit. Our elections are and ought to be a national security issue. Democrats quickly rejected the proposal. Representative Chris Kennedy defended Colorado's current election systems and said he did not see any signs of fraud. So until I see that evidence, I will also be opposing measures like this that I actually think could potentially confuse and harm our election system. Democrats on Monday also voted down measures to have the state purchase new voting equipment and have county clerks cancel voter registrations for people who do not qualify for jury duty in their county. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. As climate change becomes more front and center across the world, communities are looking to transition away from fossil fuels. This winter, KOTO is partnering with stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at that shift. In our final story of the collaboration, we're heading to the Navajo Nation. The northern skies of the Navajo Nation are clearer after the closures of the coal-powered Navajo Generating Station, but the region also lost jobs and tax revenue. A proposed pump storage hydropower plant that uses the generating station's transmission lines could help the area transition. The Federal Energy Regulatory Commission issued a preliminary permit for the project last year. Justin Higginbottom reports on the legacy of coal-fired power on the Navajo Nation and what comes next. Nicole Horseherder is from Black Mesa, on the Arizona side of the Navajo Nation, and she says a couple decades ago her community noticed that their springs and seeps were drying up. Well, we know that the mining company on Black Mesa was tapped into one of the deep aquifers, and that deep aquifer just so happened to be the only potable source of water for people on Black Mesa. That mine pumped the aquifer to slurry coal to the Mojave Generating Station. Horse herder founded Tonejona Ane, which translates to Sacred Water Speaks in Dene. Their goal was to close the mine, running her community dry. 
But that wasn't the only coal-powered plant using water in the region. Just west, the same company ran the Kayenta coal mine, feeding the Navajo generating station. In order to protect the water and to ensure that it was going to be viable into the future, we had to put an end to the coal mining. The Mojave generating station closed in 2005 after officials found it violated the Clean Air Act. So did the mine in Black Mesa. In 2019, the Navajo generating station shuttered along with its Kayenta mine. Pressure from environmental groups helped, but the coal-fired plant was also just not as profitable. The next year, its stacks were demolished. That's from footage of the demolition. It brought spectators from around the region. Once the Navajo generating station shut down, then we were able to turn our efforts to transition issues. Most important to horse herders, what to do with the transmission lines left from the Navajo generating station. But we jumped on it right away because we knew that the window of opportunity is small. Those lines transported electricity from the plant to cities outside of the Navajo Nation, like Phoenix and Las Vegas. But Horse Herder wants the lines used differently. And putting renewable energy on those transmission lines rather than more coal or some other fossil fuel industry. Jim Day is the CEO of Daybreak, and he has an idea. The Navajo Energy Storage Station, it's a really big project. It's 2,210 megawatts installed capacity of 10-hour duration storage. In terms of power, that's bigger than most nuclear power plants. The $3.6 billion project is what's called pumped storage hydropower. It would store power by pumping water from Lake Powell to a proposed reservoir near Navajo Mountain in Utah. So it uses abundant solar power in the daytime, pump the water up at huge quantities, and then as the sun starts to go down and power demand goes up and solar starts falling off, it releases the water back through generating turbines. Those turbines can then release power when needed. Day says that storing energy is important when using renewable sources like solar or wind, which don't generate electricity uniformly. When the wind's blowing, we could suck it all up. When the sun's blazing hot, we could take a lot of that power off their hands and then deliver it when the, the grid needs it. It's still extremely early days for the project, but Day says it has the chance at providing thousands of jobs and millions in revenue. He says he has brought the idea to the Navajo Nation. I want them to be partners. That's the whole point of this project is to benefit them. Mike Eisenfeld of the San Juan Citizens Alliance advocates for a transition to renewable energy in the region. He's seen several pump storage projects proposed, but he has questions. Where's the power going? Who benefits? Is it going to be for the Navajo Nation? Is it going to provide power for local communities? Or is it going to be thing that is sort of set up? For California. It was common for those on the Navajo Nation to be in view of power plants like the Navajo Generating Station, but have no electricity in their own homes. Well, what about the projects that could stand on their own merits? Why are we keep investing in these speculative projects when we know that we could be building renewable energy projects that would have a meaningful impact on local communities? For horse herders, she hopes a transition from fossil fuels also changes how business is done. There has to be a change in the way that corporations and utilities do business anywhere in this nation, in any community. 
She thinks that whatever replaces coal should help those closest to it, and communities should hold some power in how they generate power. Justin Higginbottom for Rocky Mountain Community Radio. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for snow showers tonight with a low around 10 degrees. One to two inches of snow accumulation is possible. Thursday should be sunny with a high near 30 degrees. Thursday night expect mostly clear skies with a low around 10. Friday calls for sunny skies with a high in the mid-30s. Friday night should be clear with a low in the mid-teens. This has been the news for Wednesday, February 16th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hello there, Koto listeners. It's Sarah Holbrook here. I'm the executive director of the Pinhead Institute. What's the Pinhead Institute, you might be asking? Well, we provide STEM education and experiences throughout southwestern Colorado, although we're based here in Telluride, Colorado. And of course, we famously get our name from the world's first AC power plant, providing commercial grade power at a distance, built by LL Nunn in 1891 um, with Tesla's technology and young scientists from all over the globe. Elo Nunn kept track of them with pins on a map, and he called his young scientists his pinheads, and we carry on that tradition today. You probably know that we offer internships for high school juniors, um, and I've been busy meeting up with those juniors and their families um, over the last month and a half, and that's been very exciting. We have a lot of kids interested in engineering, so if any of you own engineering firms or are working in engineering schools, please get in touch with me, as I would love to send one of our highly qualified high school interns to work with you this summer. Um, Also, I had a fun experience today. My colleague Jackson and I got to be judges for a science fair that the BOCES are putting on um, in rural southwestern Colorado. So we got to talk with young scientists from Durango and Mancus and Cortez and Dolores, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, That was a really good time that we both had this morning uh, where we heard all sorts of cool Um, science fair explorations, including a kid who was trying to make concrete out of materials that you might be able to find on the moon. Speaking of the moon, reminds me of outer space, and that is a pretty great story that we have right now. SpaceX just announced their Polaris program, where they're going to be sending, um, I think it is, three astronauts out into space, probably this uh, fall. Um, And the program's first launch is titled Polaris Dawn, and that's with SpaceX. And one of the mission specialists is a woman named Sarah Gillis, who was mentored at CU Boulder by our former board member at Pinhead, Joe Tanner. Uh, And Joe is going to be making a circuit of some of the schools in another program that Pinhead runs called Scholars in the Schools, where we uh, bring working and former retired STEM professionals into schools to talk about a life in their STEM field. So Joe Tanner is, I think, going to be going out maybe to Norwood and hopefully Paradox sometime soon. Um, And we're all really so grateful for all of our science professionals who help us with that. We're also going to be starting an after-school bridge club. So if you're interested in that, please get in touch with me, Sarah at pinheadinstitute.org. And also, as I said earlier, do get in touch with me if you know any engineers who'd be willing to mentor a young student this summer. They're all about 17. They're all students between junior and senior year of high school. And we can use help first finding mentors. And then, of course, I'll be back in touch with you all later to find host housing for all these wonderful young children. That's it for now. Check out all we're doing at pinheadinstitute.org. Thanks and have a great day.
Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.